Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film A Promising Young Woman. Yes, and joining us today is our special guest, Britta Von Scholler. So welcome, Britta. Thanks hey, Britta. for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, we're Absolutely. Excited. We are very excited. So Britta, can you get us started today telling us a little bit about what you do in the entertainment world? Yeah, sure. So I am the president of Broadway Video Enterprises, which is Lorne Michaels' company. And we're certainly best known for producing Saturday Night Live, which has been running for nearly 50 years. So I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, (laughs) But we do much more than that across TV, film, audio, theater, advertising, etc. Typically, we have many shows in production ranging from Saturday Night Live to The Tonight Show, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Schmigadoon on Apple, Bubkiss on Peacock, et cetera, et cetera. And one of my favorite shows from years past, 30 Rock. So I yeah. want to throw yes. that out there. Love that. <laughs> we have also over the years produced many films, including Tina Fey's Mean Girls, which I bring up, even though it is 20 years old, but it's an interesting one because it spawned the Broadway show that we also produced by the same name, which is now a traveling show in LA and Japan. From that um, has spawned a new movie musical that's with Renee Rapp. Beyond all of that stuff that a lot of people already know about, we have a Latinx content studio called Mas Mejor that helped diversify Saturday Night Live. We own a library of IP since we've been producing for nearly 50 years. And we produced formats in 10 countries, have a whole audio division and a commercial production arm as well. My role as president of Broadway Video Enterprises is to create the business strategy for the company and execute on it. So on a daily basis, optimally, I'm thinking two years out about how we can leverage our established brands, whether Saturday Night Live being the biggest one, or or our core competencies of production, talent, and distribution mm-hmm. to expand our revenue and our reach. So my three main goals are to create partnerships and optimize deals to scale production across many genres and formats, build our IP library, and expand the reach of our brands that we control. Wow. Very cool. So can you give us a little bit about your background? Like, how did you get to this point in your career, educational background, things like that? Yeah, sure. I went to Vassar College um, in Poughkeepsie, New York, and I studied film and psychology um, with an emphasis on physiological psychology. So truth of the matter is I did not expect I'd be going into the entertainment industry, even though it was something that I'd always been interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, I got out of college, I moved to New York, and I thought I would take a year and have some fun working in the entertainment industry while I thought about potentially going to medical school. And I randomly got a job in business affairs at Golden Books Family Entertainment, 
um, which at that time, the publisher Golden Books mm -hmm. had expanded into a full service entertainment company and they wanted to compete with Disney. So I ended up working at this company that had just acquired a massive library of classic properties from Lorne Michaels Broadway video. Cool. So all of these people that I started working with in the 90s were always talking about Lorne, who I didn't know who he was at the time, <laughs> the internet. So I was like, who is this guy? And I landed in business affairs, which was not something that I ever really knew existed, but I totally loved it. I had two amazing bosses who I'm still very close with. One was Susan Beckett, who had left NBC to run business affairs at Golden Books. She had been the top paid female executive at NBC and did all of the original Saturday Night Live agreements. So I could ask her 30 years later, like, do you remember John Belushi's contract? And she'd say, <laughs> on the fifth page of the contract, there's some, a handwritten note on the lower right side. She's just amazing. Wow. So, she was a fantastic mentor and my other boss, George Stephanopoulos, the cousin of the George Stephanopoulos that you you might be familiar with. Yeah, yeah. They were fantastic bosses and just like kicked me off on a wonderful trajectory in the entertainment business where I was enjoying it so much. I thought, why would I ever go to medical school? This is so much more fun. Right. <laughs> That's very, very cool. <laughs> so at your level, being the president of this company, how much interaction do you have with the creative direction of a show, if any? Yes. So it depends on what show it is and where mm -hmm. it falls within our uh, broader studio. Mm -hmm. So I have two co-presidents in Los Angeles who are fantastic and really amazing creatives, um, Andrew Singer and Aaron David, and they really oversee the creative of our television shows and our movies right. that go through our overall deal with Universal Pictures Television. So they're in charge of things like Bubkiss and those okay. types of things. Um, what ends up falling under me from a production standpoint is basically any of our new businesses that I'm creating through partnerships and deals that I put together. And then until the business is kind of up and running and we've figured out exactly how it's working, what our budget models are going to be, our revenue models, et cetera, that stuff falls under me. So on some of our projects, I'm working directly on the creative on a daily basis. For instance, our audio division, because it's the newest uh, business that we have at Broadway Video, I'm still very hands-on. Cool. So I have a group of producers that work underneath me. Um, uh, and so on a daily basis, I'm talking about casting and scripts and notes and all of that. Same thing with branding and Mas Mejor, but our traditional television goes through our LA creatives, Aaron and Andrew. Okay. Fantastic. So you mentioned your spending a lot of time looking two years out from where you're at now. Um, what are some tools you're using to figure out how to forecast that? Are, is there anything you look toward? Are there like things you follow, anything like that? I mean, like everybody, I read the trades yeah. every day yeah. to find out what's going on out there, who the players are, who I should be talking to yeah. and a huge part of my job. And I think the entertainment industry in general, which is one of the reasons why I like it is just being social and meeting yeah. people mm -hmm. yeah. and making connections. Right. I'm very much of the mindset as a human being, like 
what else can we do? How can we yeah. do something together? <laughs> um, and that's one of the things that I love about the entertainment business. So I'm out there talking to people and in the course of any given conversation, I can latch on to something that they're talking about in their future and say, oh, is there a way we could work together? Or yeah. if we have a creator who I'm talking to, you know, that's within the the broader Saturday Night Live family and they have a story that they want to tell, it's my job to think about, okay, this might not be right for our traditional television, but right. how else can we tell the story? Yeah. And then go out there and make those relationships with the platforms to be able to fund and distribute that content once we produce it. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Can you give us an example of maybe an SNL property or some other IP that you guys have where you've taken it, an idea from, you know, a cast member or something or a production member, whoever, and really rolled it out in a different channel? Yeah, for sure. So one example off the top of my head is Kate McKinnon, one of my favorite um, past cast members yeah, from Saturday Night Live. She had an idea that she had put together with her sister, Emily, and it was kind of based on these characters that they, that they used to pretend to be back when they were you know, young and bored and just entertaining themselves in their room. And it's an idea about a medieval queen who is very powerful, but she's not totally satisfied with what she does on a day-to-day -day basis, even though she really likes the power and has a hard time um, giving that up. So Kate had this idea, and it was at a time when she had just come off of Saturday Night Live, having played Hillary Clinton, and was so intimately tied into the mindset of Hillary during the 2016 presidential campaign, where, you know, she looked at this woman who is so accomplished and so powerful, but also probably suffering on a daily basis under her position. So I think Kate married that idea that she had about this medieval queen that she and her sister used to play with how she imagined Hillary Clinton to be feeling. And it was a story about a medieval queen, but it had all of these elements of modern, modern day, like Postmates right. and cell phones. Yeah. And she brought it to us and we were like, hmm, I don't really know how to make this into a television show because it would be Game of Thrones budget yeah. <laughs> with a comedy audience, but yeah. maybe it would be perfect for audio. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time that I was negotiating the deal with Audible, which is okay, still nice. ongoing. Yeah. Audible's owned by Amazon and they are, uh, we have a first look deal with them on our scripted comedy side for audio. Cool. Um, and so... We looked at this idea and talked over a period of, I don't know, probably about six months about how we could kind of shape it to tell the story as best we could in the audio format. And it turns out that once we brought it to life, it was actually the perfect format for this particular story that we couldn't quite tell in television. That said, now that we've released it um, on Audible and it did very well critically yeah. and fans loved it. It actually is, it was a New York Times bestseller. Great. We are working on developing it for an animated television series. Nice. Fingers cool. crossed yeah. in a couple of years, you'll be seeing the animated version somewhere. Yeah. So how often does that come up where you've kind of channeled something to a certain format and then once it's there and doing well, you realize you can transfer it to a whole nother different kind of media. 
Well, that is actually at the heart of what my job is at Broadway Video. For my first 15 years of working there, I spent most of my time on Saturday Night Live because at that time, Broadway Video controlled the off-network distribution for Saturday Night Live. So it was essentially my job to look at the show and say, what are all of the different businesses that we can build around this that we can allow consumers to touch and feel the brand beyond watching it and its premiere on Saturday night at 1130 and then it's rerun, you know, a week later or over the summer or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I did spend, you know, over a decade really building up that business and creating the digital strategy for it, whether it was the first programmatic mobile deal for NBC in 2006, establishing the social media presence for Saturday Night Live, Mm -hmm. including like when we first started to think like, what would the SNL YouTube channel look yeah. like. Of course, it has almost 14 million subscribers, but back then <laughs> it was kind of new when we were figuring out how to do it all. Yeah. Or licensing it in over 200 countries, etc. So until about 2015, working on Saturday Night Live was the lion's share of what I did um, at Broadway Video. And in that time, we transferred the rights back to NBC. And I thought, oh my gosh, most of my job is working with our IP and now our biggest, shiniest jewel is gone. What do I do? So I started to think at that point, how do we as a production company start to create content where we can actually establish real ownership in whatever it is we're producing. And as you guys know, these days, that's incredibly difficult. Yeah. You have an idea and you're lucky enough to have a platform want to green light it. They say, here's hundred percent of the money for the budget. You take a 15% fee or whatever it is. And you're done after that. No ongoing ownership. So it was a real challenge for me to try to figure out how we could do that in this age where it doesn't happen very often. So I spent a long time thinking about how we could put together co-financing deals or international deals or work with our other IP to do derivative projects that would help us establish ownership in whatever it was we were producing. And that's a huge part of why we did this Audible deal, which allows us to create content develop stories, get it out there and see if it works as the seed of an idea that really resonates with people to ideally sell it to other platforms and other forms. So as I mentioned with Kate McKinnon's Heads Will Roll, we're starting to do work on the derivative development for that one. And we've got a few others in the works as well. So that is the ultimate goal of my job is to create ownership in, in the shows that we produce and develop them across many different formats and throughout time. Nice. So as you're taking a look at these different projects, Britta, deciding what gets greenlit or, you know, what you try to put where, all those decisions, is that exclusively data driven by focus groups and stuff like that? Or is there more to it? On our side, there's definitely more to it. I think, you know, the proliferation of the digital platforms, they are really relying on a lot of data, but that is, as I'm sure you know, nothing that they'll really share with us. Yeah, of course, yes. Um, So we're kind of just going with our gut. Um, What seems funny, what would resonate with audiences that we already have a certain kind of relationship with, what kind of ideas talent is bringing to us. And we really just have to look at it and think, 
you know, this might be relevant because of something that's going on in the world or really hit with a certain demographic that we're going after. But beyond that, we don't, since we don't ourselves have access to data, um, we're really relying on our gut and the platform's data. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You mentioned having a first look deal with Amazon and how that allows like some more freedom and development. Could you kind of explain to listeners who might not know what a first look deal is and what goes into that? Sure. Our first look deal is with Audible, which is owned by Amazon, and that's on the scripted audio side. And a first look deal is essentially we have a business arrangement with them where they're essentially paying us to bring them our ideas first. So anytime we have a scripted comedy narrative, we take it to them first. And if they don't green light it, then we can take it elsewhere. Um, But Audible has been actually a fantastic partner and have done, I think, 15 series with them so far and have a bunch more in production. So we really haven't had too much of a need to go elsewhere. Right. Um, We also have a first look deal on our TV side. Okay. UTV is, of course, owned by the broader NBC Universal Comcast family. And we have a first look with them on TV and film. Nice. Excellent. So part of your position was also taking SNL kind of globally. Can you tell us about that process? Because that seems like even an additional challenge or like step to go beyond the United States in terms of like what's funny, you know, what content people are going to respond to. Yeah, for sure. So pre-Netflix, Amazon, et cetera, we really had to go from territory to territory to make sure that our show was seen all over the world, yeah. you know, until, I don't know, let's say 2013 or whatever, it was really a matter of making relationships in all of the different territories around the world, mm-hmm. the, the networks who aired programming and negotiating deals with them, teaching them why Saturday Night Live would, rel- uh, would resonate with their audiences, even though their audiences obviously aren't American, right. um, and negotiate those deals. So that was something I did for a long time. And that actually stretched into creating local formats of Saturday Night Live, which has oh, cool. been one of the most fun parts of my job yeah. over the years. So in any given territory, once a network had been show airing it for long enough to really develop the brand within that country and a real viewership, the networks would come to us and we would negotiate a license for the format, which okay. is essentially giving them the, let's say, bones of mm-hmm. what makes Saturday Night Live Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So they could produce it with local writers, local performers in their own countries. So I've now traveled all around the world working with local production units, um, which is pretty fascinating, teaching them how you can produce a show like Saturday Night Live, even if your culture is quite different. And doing this work really helped me realize, uh, despite all the problems that our country has, Freedom of speech is is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Mm. You know, working in China on their version or working in Northern Africa, Middle East, being confronted with what their limitations are in terms mm. of what you can say about right. culture and politics. It, it, it's been a, a huge learning experience yeah. and, and and totally fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Think back to 1975 when Saturday Night Live started here. Right. And I think we take it for granted now how much 
conversation there is around social issues or culture back then Saturday Night Live was really cutting edge in terms of making fun of the president or talking about foreign policy and where we were back then is where many countries around the world are now and Mm -hmm. I think the hope is that Saturday Night Live and any of these given marketplaces could have a similar benefit to those Uh, cultures in terms of like allowing people to open up dialogue about what they're satisfied with versus what they're not and and potentially make real change. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Very cool. Just the reach of the show is really the impact and reach of it is really impressive. Oh, yeah. And just where it's been able to be taken is just really cool to see. So. It yeah. shows the impact entertainment can have. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I've I've always really loved working on yeah. Saturday Night Live because even though it's, you know, a silly show and a right. lot of a lot of times we're just making <laughs> um, you know, lowest common denominator yeah. jokes, like a lot of the content is actually culture changing. Yeah. Like about the past couple of elections or the 2008 election, right. McCain, the McCain um, Obama election. Yeah. And watching that and having Tina Fey come on mm-hmm. and parody Sarah Palin. However, that election turned out, I just knew I was like watching yeah. her changing yes. at that moment. Um, and it's it's really amazing to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wild. So can you tell us more about being the co-chair of the Creative Alliance and just how you got involved with that organization? Yeah, sure. Okay. So the Creative Alliance, I should first say, yeah. is a coalition of about 100 of the nation's top creative and marketing agencies who donate their services on a pro bono basis to develop marketing strategies to fuel social progress. Yeah. So I co-chair it along with Jason Harris, who's a fantastic guy and is the CEO of Mechanism, a big advertising agency. And we essentially now function as the marketing arm for Civic Nation, which runs social initiatives like Michelle Obama's When We All Vote in the United States of Women, as well as Better Make Room and other civic engagement initiatives. So the Creative Alliance was born out of the idea of giving the same firepower to our nation's biggest challenges as we do to the world's biggest brands like Procter & Gamble or whatever. So Jason actually founded it with Heidi Hackemeyer in 2014. And back then they had been approached by President Obama and then VP Biden Mm -hmm. to do a campaign combating sexual assault on college campuses. It's called It's On Us. And uh, Jason did that campaign and had to pull in some favors uh, from some people at other advertising agencies and realized that in a world where agencies are usually totally competing with one another, it was great to be able to just get on board and do some good work and kind of reach across the aisle. So I started in 2014. I came on in 2016. And I think they asked me because they already had all the advertising agencies, but needed my connections with the production companies and the distribution partners in order to actually produce and get the messages out there. So I've been doing it since then, and it's pretty great. It used to be a lot more labor intensive. Now it's kind of going on its own. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm not doing so much of it, but I suspect, um, you know, with the next political campaign around the corner, we'll probably gear up to do more work with When We All Vote, which is um, one of Michelle Obama's biggest initiatives. It's about you know, getting young people out to vote and people from marginalized communities. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, that's really great. 
Well, Britta, what is the most challenging part of your job? So it's a good problem to have, but with a history like Broadway video, we get so many calls and opportunities. It can be challenging to pick it to pick what to focus on. Mm-hmm. I can often find something to be enthusiastic about, and it's my nature to try to figure out how to make something work. But we never want to scale just for the sake of revenue. So I really need to figure out what the filter is through which I assess every opportunity and figure out, you know, which ones we're going to move forward with. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So with so many different opportunities and so many things to focus on, how do you juggle it all? Like time-wise, schedule-wise? Well, I don't think I necessarily have a good secret yeah. other than working with really amazing, yeah. talented people. I have an awesome team. Um, mm-hmm. I've been at Broadway Video for 22 years. And while I am now one of the m- older timers, there are people who have been around longer than me. And mm-hmm. even a lot of the young people on my team have been there for about 10 years. Okay. So I definitely rely a ton on them and trust mm-hmm. them, whether or not we're doing something totally new, which is oftentimes a part of our job, like f- figuring out how to um, seize an opportunity that's new within the industry or new with us. I have to just have a lot of faith that yeah. these people are smart and talented. And even though we haven't done it before, we're going to figure out how to do it. So I think a lot of delegating happens for sure. Um, a lot of teamwork. And then beyond that, I think because of our SNL heritage, where we build an entire show nearly every week and yeah. six um, we really have a startup mentality, despite the fact that we've been around forever. Right. Um, our, our team is super scrappy and has a really good understanding and appreciation of both the business and the creative side. Yeah. Um, and beyond the team, you know, I'm a real lover of systems and templates. Mm-hmm. So once we yeah. find something that works for us from a process standpoint, we really try our best to stick with it. In my businesses, we have set budget models, set workflows, and even creative templates um, wherever possible. Um, So for instance, in our audio division, we have a guide that we give to our creators that helps them submit their ideas to us in a manner that covers the information we need and is also a form that's really familiar to our platform partner. So it's easy for them to digest and it's easier for them to say yes to ideally. So if the creators know what we're looking for up front, Um, It limits the amount of time that we have to go back and forth and rework information to pull the right things out. So I would say team and process. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you have any moments from your career that are either a favorite moment or a moment where you're like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living? Yes, I have a bunch of those. (laughs) (laughs) And I think from a business perspective, it's like, those instances where you experience a plan that you had a long time ago actually coming yeah. to fruition where you're like, oh my God, that worked. I can't <laughs> believe it. So one example of that is Kids in the Hall, which is a series that Lorne uh, Michaels produced through Broadway Video back yeah. in the late night, late 80s, early mm-hmm. 90s. Yeah. So I wasn't around then, but I grew funny. up on it. Yeah. yeah. In college, it was the only show that I'd go up to um, the common room to watch on. I can't remember what night it was, but it was a part of my formative television history. And then when I came to Broadway Video in 2001, 
it was part of my job to sell that's those five seasons internationally and in syndication in the US. So after about 25 years of doing that, um, some of our deals were, some of our syndication deals were coming to an end. And it was also happening at a time where there was so much consolidation that there are about three buyers around the world. So I was like, oh, oh (laughs) what are we going to do here? So I called the kids, the kids, the five um, (laughs) writers and performers, and we just had a little chat and we thought, you know what? Why not? They haven't worked together in a long time, but let's try to put together an idea and we'll take it out to all of the platforms and see if we can sell a new special or a series. Mm-hmm. And what do you know? We got a couple of offers, which was wow. surprising and wonderful. And then, you know, we worked for the next year or so with the kids to write it and produce it. And then it came out the new season, which we're calling the reboot, came out on Amazon. Um, last year. It was hugely critically acclaimed. And that was one success. But then the other thing that was so successful about um, this whole mission was that the library of those five seasons, we were able to sell those for another five years. It worked from a content perspective and it worked from a marketing perspective. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, we did it. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Well, Brittany, we got one more question for you before we move on and talk about the movie. That question is, What advice do you have for people who want to get into the business side of the entertainment industry? All right. Well, I have to say that I don't talk to a lot of people who say they want to work on the business side of entertainment. (laughs) Almost everybody I meet with says they want to be a writer or or a producer. Um, And I honestly just think most people don't know that the business even exists. You know, you consume content in various forms all day long but you're usually getting it in its final beautiful form delivered straight to you. Right. Necessarily understand all of the hundreds of people and all of the years of processes that an idea goes through before it gets to the final form in which they're seeing it. So I would say my advice is to explore the industry really broadly, just like I randomly started in business affairs and it was perfect for my personality, but I wouldn't have known it existed. So I think for anybody considering business, you know, think of your interests and your skills and explore how they may be applied to various segment, various stages of the content lifestyle. Um, acquaint yourself with different aspects of the of the entertainment industry, and I think this podcast is actually the perfect way to do it. I've learned a lot listening myself. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's more fun than it sounds. Yeah, I think it sounds really fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to our featured film. Today we're discussing the 2020 film Promising Young Woman. It was written and directed by Emerald Fennell, and it stars Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Laverne Cox, and Allison Brie. It won the 2021 Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. So, Susan, can you give us a quick breakdown? What's this movie about? Yeah, so this movie uh, really centers around Cassie. She dropped out of 
medical school due to something happening with her best friend. Restaurant also dropped out and ended up committing suicide. Cassie's living with her parents. She's working at a coffee shop. It's kind of like a dead end job, even though she really seems to love her boss, um, who's played by Laverne Cox. Yep. But yeah, she's really just sort of stuck in the trauma of everything that happened to her and her friend in medical school. So she spends her days working at the coffee shop. She spends her nights going out to clubs, pretending to be drunk so she can kind of catch men who are being very predatory and very, you know, problematic. Yeah. Um, And she calls them out and she scares them into hopefully not doing that anymore. That sort of seems like it's her goal. She also meets Ryan, who is an old classmate. She starts dating him. And then they're on a date and he mentions offhandedly this guy they both went to med school with named Al. And Al is the medical student who is the reason Nina dropped out and ultimately the reason Cassie dropped out as well. Nina was raped at a party in college, in med school, which caused all this trauma that led to their lives kind of getting off track. And Al was never really punished for that. People didn't believe Nina. And that's what really led Cassie to all her motivation and what she's doing in life now. So then we see those events unfold once she realizes Ryan has this connection to Al. She kind of focuses her revenge more on the people that um, she knew in med school. So yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about more about the plot as we're going. That's just an overview. And we will yeah. be doing spoilers because it's yeah, impossible so you, to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's without possible. doing so. <laughs> so, Britta, you chose this movie for us to watch. Why did you choose Promising Young Woman? I went dark, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yes, you did. That's okay. I was deciding between Barb and Star. Yeah. Another great movie. One of yeah. my... other favorite movies and this one and i decided to choose this one because i was just so blown over by Mm -hmm. it um when when i watched it for the first time and then i watched it again last night Mm -hmm. in order to have a more intellectual conversation about it (laughs) i thought oh oh, geez (laughs) i really went dark but actually one of the reasons why i love this movie so much is because it's such a great example of how culture informs art yeah doing so are can inform cultural change, yeah. which I think is something that's so important and a, a kind of a thread that's woven through my business and my mm-hmm. interests, both with Saturday Night Live, which though not quite as heavy as this no, movie, but certainly, yeah. also like opens up dialogue around yeah. things that are sometimes, quote, not to be spoken about right. and can right. create change because of that. And we also do the same thing in my work at Creative Alliance. Yeah. So I think Emerald Fennel just did the most masterful job yeah. in creating a film that is entertaining and poppy and dare mm-hmm. I say even funny and in yeah. doing that makes a really tough conversation palatable. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, speaking when you were talking about the It's On Us movement, obviously this mm-hmm. movie seemed like it was informed by everything going on with that, everything going on with the Me Too movement. So I think just like you said, a really good example of culture and art really informing each other and like back and forth conversation they create. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are movies out there that are um, deal with heavy topics, mm-hmm. um, but this one does it in a way that you feel for the characters in this movie. Like it sucks you in with stories. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just hit you over the head constantly. Mm-hmm. It makes you really feel for the characters. And I think Carrie Mulligan does a phenomenal yeah. job in this film. Like, it's such a hard character to play, I think. But she does so, so well because, you you know, you want to feel for her. And then ultimately, in the end, and again, spoilers, everybody. But when she dies in this film, I was upset. Mm-hmm. And also, I was shocked because I did not see it coming. 
And this movie does such a good job of like, you know, she's in control of the whole film until that moment. And it's, it's, that's why it's so good. And then the ending. And so I was, I was such a bummer because I was so upset yeah. when, they, when it's like, oh, and the guy got away with it. That sucks. And then at the very, very end, when they finally, when she has the last laugh, I was like, okay, good. Mm-hmm. That movie pulled me out of it. Thank God. I feel so much better. Yeah. Because uh, I love seeing that justice served. Mm-hmm. So great. Yeah. And she is through this really tragic ending. She is actually having more control than she'd been. Yes. Able yeah. To her yeah own she life. won. Yeah. 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 Brian Tucker, who was an SN- uh, one of our has- head SNL writers, mm-hmm. um, when I asked him one time what his like few principles of writing were, how do you create a piece of content that's going to suck you in, but also be viral and talk about real things? And he listed a few things. And I think Emerald Fennel in writing this and the way she directed it was right on with exactly what Brian Tucker said, but mm-hmm. respectfully pushing boundaries by using universal truths, which yeah. so many terrible universal truths in this movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. reflecting culture, which this movie very much does, whether it's, you know, how we act when bad things happen from the bystanders to the perpetrators, to the institutions, et cetera, right. telling unique and diverse stories, which mm-hmm. I've never heard a story no. told from this perspective before. And then I think one of the things um Emerald Fennel did so masterfully was uh, subverting expectations. So mm-hmm. you yeah. mentioned the ending when she died. Yeah. You're like, no. Yeah. It's like a drop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, when does that happen or mm-hmm. not very often that your heroine dies in yeah. the end? Yeah. Um, or even at the beginning when you think she's being assaulted and it turns out she's flipped the script. Like at, yeah. every, at every turn, right your expectations are totally subverted, even mm-hmm. from a genre perspective. Yeah. Like I find myself sometimes being like, is this a romantic comedy? Yeah, right? It it is for yeah. yeah, it totally is. And then it switches back. Yeah. 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 And I think that speaks to you saying it's told in a playable way is that there are moments where you forget how serious it is when she's talking to Ryan at first, when they first like re-meet in the coffee shop. It's really funny and so awkward. And when they're having the date. Yeah, their dates are so awkward and funny and lighthearted that you forget she's everyone's dealing with this huge, huge thing, this huge trauma. And then the way it's all tied back together, like. Oh, my mind was just consistently like blown. Like what? What? Like what's happening what's now? On? Crazy. Yeah. It's done oh, so well. Like, yeah. The way it's shot, I, I read that she used a special lens to give yeah. it an extra soft, yeah. extra soft focus. All of the really bright colors, the way she's dressed with her beautiful mm-hmm. soft yeah. hairdo, yeah. And her floral patterns. Her house is very so traditional, suburban, pink. and pink. Yeah. Yes. And all of the pop music in it, it kind of tricks you into thinking that it's something that it's not. Yeah. And I think in the end, it's probably they probably wanted you to feel this juxtaposition yeah. about oh, yeah. how the outside world feels about her and her life versus mm-hmm. how she feels within her, her yes. inner self. And it's totally so nuanced and beautiful and so well done. Yeah. I totally feel that. And I also love how they use actors who don't 
play villains a lot, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yes. they use all the yeah. boyfriends are like comedians yeah. who are normally who playing I good guys. love. <laughs> yes. yes. Some yes. of them, I'm like, oh my God, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's so many people from different projects yeah. that I'm like, oh, I love yeah. that guy. Oh, yeah. he's, he's, he's he's not terrible. good. terrible, yeah. And all those guys deserve a shout out, I think, yes. Yeah, being yes. on this project. It was really brave. And yeah, it was. I think they were, they were all great. They yeah. Did, yeah, and I everybody. think it accomplishes like, you know, these, these really predatory guys could be anybody, you know, it's not a certain type of guy. It's not a guy who certain acts a certain way. It can like, you know, there's, you can't really follow. Right. It could be anybody. Yeah. And talking about SNL, I mean, Molly Shannon's in this movie for like two minutes, but she yeah. has such a pivotal role to play as Nina's mother. Um, who's, who's gives like the only good advice in the whole movie. It's like, you need to move on. Right. And she really tries it until of course she gets sucked back in, but it's always great to see people like you know old old snl folks jump Mm -hmm. up in in films i love it yeah she has so much heart in every role she plays i don't know if you guys watched um we have a series called the other two which is on hbo and molly is one of the main characters in it and she's just she's so good yeah i heard it's awesome Another thing I loved about this movie is the female character in general. I feel Mm -hmm. like oftentimes we're watching characters in general, but especially women who are black or white, good or bad. And throughout this whole movie, I think you're, you know, following the twists and turns and wondering, Mm -hmm. is she good? Is she not good? And she's sexy and she's dangerous, but she's also smart and funny and Mm -hmm. vulnerable and powerful. Yeah. And I just loved how nuanced uh, this character is. Yeah, it's really well-crafted. Absolutely. And I also love that they, you don't actually know what she does. Like, so much of it is not shown. You know, what did she do to the guys when she catches them? You know, what did she do to Allison Bree's character when she had that guy, like, take her up? I'm like, and for a moment, you're like, oh, you know, I I don't want her to, like, do bad things to other people, right? Mm -hmm. And and eventually you learn how, Mm -hmm. you know exactly what happened but i think you're absolutely right the movie does such a good job of like well she's not a straightforward character she has a lot of nuance to her it makes her feel like a real person yeah yeah absolutely makes for an interesting watch yeah Yeah. britta do you have a favorite scene from the film yes i do i I kind of feel bad calling this one out as my favorite because it's almost the least like the rest of the film, hmm. but I love the pharmacy scene. Yeah. Where yeah. Cassie and Brian are falling in love and you're seeing a whole montage of their relationship yeah. and it feels very much like the best rom-com you've ever yeah. seen. Um, and the fact that they're playing that Paris Hilton song in yes. the background, I also just thought was so funny and so wonderful. And when you listen to the lyrics of that song, it actually fits in very well yeah. with who Cassie is and what she's been experiencing. Yeah. Um, but I love that. I just thought it was so sweet. And then it makes the turn yes. so much more impactful. Yeah. How smart. Like, right. What a great choice. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good. And yeah, I similar scene when they, that meet cute, I guess, in the coffee shop yeah, where they yeah. where they first reconnect. That's probably one of my favorite scenes, even though, again, it's not really what the message of the movie about, but it does such a good job of making you love Ryan's character. And mm-hmm. then like so that twist is just like a knife, like <laughs> it makes it so much more powerful. Right. Is wanting to be so good. You yeah, want him to yeah, be yeah, guy who can like save her and pull right. her out. 
out of this deep depression, which also feel when she's introducing uh, her parents Mm -hmm. to him. And you can just like the relief that her parents are feeling in the fact that she has a boyfriend is palpable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so deep. Yeah. (laughs) And then obviously the very, the end scene at the wedding just a really satisfying yeah. pin. Yeah. yeah me too. I thought it was a what a yeah. phenomenal ending. Yeah. Uh A plus. But I also love the scene <laughs> where she goes and talks to the dean of the college. Yes. And like just the way it's shot and the way that Cassie she just is so still. And like, you know, she like sort of lays out what happened and the dean's very apologetic. But then when she makes it about her own daughter and just letting her like freak out and then her just sitting there. Like, oh my God, that scene was so intense, but I loved it. And it's just, it's so great to watch that sort of unfold and that that drama. It's so intense. It's one of those moments where you're like, oh, Cassie, I hope you didn't do this. I hope you didn't go that right, far. Right, 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 right. Like, oh my God, no. Yeah. So yes. I was so relieved to find out that yeah. she hadn't done what we all were nervous she had. Right, but right. It makes it, it makes it very palpable. Cassie's character is written really well and like so she her choices are so resolute and she knows exactly what she's doing yeah she knows her goal and just a really strong viewpoint from her and great directing in this film just just a well-made movie we like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling oh what's her name we're going to see how well both of you know well-known actors so britta and susan you'll be playing as a team So here are the rules. I've given you both a list of actors. You will take turns describing the actors' films, their TV shows, and characters to each other as quickly as you can, but you cannot use their name. You will have one minute to get your partner to guess as many as possible, and if you get five correct, then Britta will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? Some Life in the Credits merchandise, like a mug or a shirt or a tote bag, something like that. Something like that. (laughs) All right. Very high stakes. Very. (laughs) <laughs> all right Brenda, are you ready to play i guess so okay, <laughs> I love that be okay. <laughs> and susan you ready ready all right now susan you are going to give clues first so okay. after you give your first clue i will start your time and you have one minute okay he's in fight club he is in inglorious bastards Brad Pitt. Yes. yes one point all right Woo! uh she is the star of a promising young woman she oh. got her start in an education carrie mulligan yes, yes. two points yeah. Woo! Um, okay, she actually she's also in a promising young woman. She plays the med school friend who gets a little tipsy at lunch. Brie Larson. Yeah, uh, no. no. Oh my gosh, so close. Um <laughs> switch that around a little bit. So you have Brie is correct, but it's oh shoot. It's all right. You want me to pass? Uh, Allison Brie. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Three oh, points. Uh, that's okay. How could I? <laughs> no, no, no. I get it. <laughs> Go on, 20 seconds. Um, this is an actress who was just in The Watchers on Netflix. She just got married to Billy Crudup. Oh, my God. He's um, Australian, I think. Blonde. Um, pass. I can't, I can't think of it quickly enough. Okay. This is an actor who's been in everything. He was in that movie where he played with a volleyball named Wilson. Oh, Tom Hanks. Yeah, four points. Um, all right. This is she's in Star Wars. She's in um Black Swan. Um Natalie Portman. Yes, and that's one minute. Oh. <laughs> Did we make it? You guys made it. Okay. Well done. Nice. Just under the wire. Who is Billy? Who just who's the 
blonde. I'm Naomi Watts. Duh. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't think that could have been closer. Oh my God. Well done, you guys. You did it. Nice job. Nice job. All right, Britta. Well, thank you for joining us today. But before we let you go, is there anything that you would like to plug? Yes, actually. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yes. We have a new audio series that's coming out on Audible on August 24th. Oh, nice. Great. And it's starring Sam Richardson, who was nice. also in A Promising cool. Young Woman. Yeah. Nice. He's a much better guy in this yeah. one. Well, <laughs> Yes We Cannabis. Um, oh, and nice. it's written by um, a team of all Black writers oh, with cool. all back Black uh, performers and producer. And it is all about getting into the cannabis business, the legal oh, cannabis nice. business. Interesting. Yeah. Really funny. It has a great cast and everybody should listen. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brett, for joining us. Today. Yeah, it's an was, absolute pleasure. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you guys. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And it's more fun than it sounds. Yeah, I think it sounds really <laughs> fun, actually. <laughs>